the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 27 through 52. Mark, chapter 14, verses 27 through 52. In our study this morning, Mark, chapter 14, verses 27 through 52, on the agony, the betrayal, and the rest of Jesus, in which we will be seeing his character in contrast to that of the disciples. Mark chapter 14, verse 27 through 52. The word of God reads as such, And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away, yet I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows twice, you yourself would deny me three times. But Peter kept saying insistently, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all were saying the same thing also. Verse 32, they came to a place named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be very distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass him by. And he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not come into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, came up, accompanied by a crowd with swords and clubs who were from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he who was betraying him and given them the signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away under guard. After coming, Jesus immediately went to him, saying, Rabbi, and kissed him. They laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Jesus said to them, have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And they 
all left him and fled. A young man was following him, wearing nothing but a linen sheet over his naked body, and they seized him, but he pulled free of the linen sheet and escaped naked. Let's bow once again before we begin our study in the Word of God. Father in heaven, we give you thanks, and Father, even as our hearts go out to many who are in need in our country, Lord, our hearts also feel the pain, even as we read this text, of our Lord as he was betrayed, denied, and abandoned by those who have followed him for three years. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be humble, to come before your word, to learn from you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Recently, a longtime elderly friend of mine passed away. He and his wife were a very significant part of my life, had an impact upon my life, but as you very well know, in this time of social distancing, funeral services can only include the immediate family members. He had no children and is survived by his wife. And I can only imagine the loneliness that she faces. Suffering is a part of this world, this sinful fallen world that we have. And now we are living in a time when there is tremendous suffering because of COVID-19. And while we see many who suffer on the news, there are many more who suffer perhaps in silence, suffer because they're isolated, suffer because they are lonely, suffer in despair, without a social support network, without family or close friends. Some individuals suffer in silence. Maybe they wonder whether or not anyone understands. Maybe they wonder whether or not anyone cares. There is one who knows. There is one who cares. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. He was very familiar with suffering Isaiah 53.3 says he was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. In the record of scripture, there is never ever any record of Jesus laughing, but there are clear incidences of Jesus' sorrow clear incidences of Jesus' grief. In John chapter 11, verse 33, when Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled, it says. Matthew 23, Jesus lamented over Jerusalem's rejection. And in John chapter 11, verse 35, it simply says, Jesus wept. Jesus very well knew what it was to suffer. He very well knew what it was to weep. And he warned his disciples about his suffering, about injustice that was to come. And what we learn from this text today, this broad text that we will cover, that even in adversity, we can model Jesus in his humility, in his dependence upon God, and even in his submission in suffering. 
his humility, his dependence upon God, and his submission in suffering. We see that in contrast, first of all, to the disciples' pride in their own self-sufficiency. The first lesson they need to learn is that they need to be humble before the Word of God, just as we do. The text tells us in verse 26, they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, the context of this happens right after the Passover meal. The Passover meal happened on Thursday night. It is going to be that night in which he will be betrayed, he will be tried, and the next day he will go to the cross. This is a very short period of time. That Passover meal that they had on that Thursday night usually lasted some five, six hours, so this would have been about midnight And in about 15 hours from this time, he will die on the cross. So they leave. It is the middle of the night. Jesus and his disciples, they sang a hymn, probably Psalm 118, the last hymn there, the Hillel, and they went to the Mount of Olives. That was part of the process by which they had the Passover meal. They would have gone through the eastern gate, down across the Kidron Valley, and because of the winter rains, there would have been some water flowing in the Kidron Brook, and because of all the sacrifices that would have been done on Thursday, there would be sacrifices there done on Thursday, sacrifices on Friday as well, made during the Passover. The blood would run down from the Temple Mount. It would mingle with the water, and there'd be water and blood as they walked across the Kidron Valley and saw the brook there. It would have been perhaps a reminder of what Jesus was going to do, shed his blood as the final sacrifice for sin. And so they go over to this Garden of Gethsemane in verse 27. Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because it is written. And he quotes Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, and he applies it to himself, which says in part, strike the shepherd that the sheep may be scattered, and I will turn my hand against the little ones. Where there is no leader, the sheep will scatter. The leaderless group would abandon, and they will run. They will scatter. But despite what Jesus himself says, despite the prophecy of Scripture, the self-sufficient pride of Peter says, even though all may fall away, yet I will not. In his own impulsive self-strong-headed, self-willed pride, he puts himself above the fray and he blurts out, I would never, ever do that. Jesus repeats it once again, even more specifically, telling Peter that he would deny him three times. But Peter is said, saying insistently, insistently, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And it wasn't just Peter either. The text tells us, And they all were saying the same thing also. All of the disciples are chiming in. Yeah, yeah, neither I. I would never do that too. Me too, Jesus. Me too. None of us will deny you. None of us will scatter. None of us will leave. None of us will fail you. Jesus was about to go to the cross. And he was going to die for even the sins such as these. The pride of the disciples he was going to die for. Now, this is not the first time that Peter opposed Jesus. In Mark chapter 8, verse 31, when Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and in three days rise again, it tells us in Mark chapter 8, verse 32, he was stating the matter plainly, and Peter, 
Once again, he took him aside and began to rebuke Jesus. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter, it says, in Mark 8, 33, and said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but man's. Peter had no idea. He had no idea of the opposition that would come. He had no idea of the onslaught of temptation that would come against Jesus or how weak he himself truly was. Peter had no idea that he would not be able to handle it, nor do any of the disciples. They would not know. And while it is commendable, his desire for loyalty, he believed that he was above the fray, that he would never do anything like that. Disciples, even in pride, even against the words of Jesus, they believed in their own resolve, They believed that they were strong. They believed that they would not fall. They believed that they would not fail. They believed that they would not falter. Sounds just like us, huh? Sometimes we might even think to ourselves, I would never do such and such. We think more highly of ourselves than we ought. The pride of man, too strong to fail or fall, you know, one lesson that we learn in this pandemic that this, this pandemic has taught the world is that no country, no individual is too strong to fall. This virus has no respect for persons, prominent or lowly, men, women, young, old. This small, unseen virus can cripple nations, can cripple economies, can take lives, bring the world nearly to a standstill. And what is needed in our own hearts as we learn, even from this passage, is this attitude of humility that is needed both as individuals and as a nation. Both as individuals and as a nation towards God. Back in 1863, Abraham Lincoln, he designated April 30th, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, as a day of national humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Here is a portion of that proclamation given in 1863. Quote, It is the duty of nations, as well as of men, who owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God, to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by a history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. The awful calamity of civil war which now desolates the land may be but a punishment inflicted upon us for our presumptuous sins to the needful end of our national reformation as a whole people. Then he says, Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace, too proud to pray to the God that made us. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown, but we have forgotten God, unquote. Is that us as a nation? Is that us as an individual? 
too proud to bend the knee in humility in the giving of sincere thanks to God? Does God still need to humble you and I? Are we people who have been intoxicated with unbroken success? We have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace? Too proud to pray to the God that made us? We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has grown, but we have forgotten God, unquote. Is that you? Is that I? In our self-diagnosis, just ask yourselves, how often, how much do we pray? That's a litmus test. That is a litmus test to your own dependence upon God or own self-sufficient heart attitude. Certainly for Peter, certainly for the apostles, they needed to learn that. Even in the face of the words of Jesus, even in the face of prophecy, they needed to humble themselves and realize that when Jesus speaks, they were to bow and understand that they needed to depend upon God. Are we too proud? We need to humble ourselves before the word of God. We need to humble ourselves and repent of sin. We need to humble ourselves in the self-diagnosis of our own heart and realize how independent, how self-sufficient, how proud we are in our own lives so often. We need to humble ourselves before the Word of God. Number two, we need to learn that the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak, so we need to depend wholly upon God. We need to learn to depend upon God. They came to a place named Gethsemane, it says here in the text. He said to his disciples, sit here until I have prayed. And he took Peter, James, and John, who were the closest of his inner circle, along with Andrew, who is not part of these three here, but they began to be very, and he began to be very distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus faces his greatest temptation. The cross, the resurrection, would be the apex of redemptive history, but just prior to it would be Jesus' greatest temptation. We are all too familiar with the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. After 40 days and 40 nights in Matthew chapter 4, in the wilderness, Satan comes. He tempts Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus answers with the word of God. And uh, that, I don't think, was, were the only temptations that were there. But here again, Satan comes to tempt Jesus again, and the temptation of Jesus was different, was different than our temptation. Our temptation is a fight against our sin nature. Our fight against temptation is both external and internal. The world, the devil, and we struggle in our temptation against the flesh. Jesus, however, being sinless, not having a sin nature, was not tempted internally by sinful desires, by sinful lusts of the flesh. His temptation was external. Not only that, Jesus' humanity, it could be tempted. Jesus being God could not be tempted. Jesus is Fully God and fully man, Jesus being God could not be tempted. For James 1.13 says, for God cannot be tempted by evil, but Jesus' humanity could be tempted, as Hebrews 4.15 tells us, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but one who has been tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. So, here Jesus says, my soul is deeply grieved. He was very troubled. He was deeply grieved to the point of death. And that word, deeply grieved, comes from this word, paralupos, from which we get the word periphery or peripheral. His heart was surrounded by sorrow. He was full of sorrow. And it was so distressful that in Luke twenty-two forty-four it says, and being in agony, he was praying very fervently and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Scholars note that a rare but documented condition called hematidrosis can occur. Hematidrosis can occur when there is severe emotional distress, where a person's capillaries burst and blood comes out of one's sweat glands. Jesus was not distressed because of the fear that he would somehow succumb to Satan's temptations, no. It's mentioned above, he had already declared Satan has nothing to me, but meaning there is no sin or no evil in which temptation could take root because Jesus was God. And he wasn't distressed, I don't think, by all of the things he knew would come, which would be the beating and the scourging or the humiliation or even the crucifixion on the cross. No, these, of course, had been experienced, these physical Elements of his suffering had been experienced by thousands before who had been crucified by Romans. What burdened the soul of Jesus was something that Jesus had never experienced before and others would not experience either. His distress, I think, would come because he would, as he knew, would become the bearer of sin. He would become the bearer of sin in 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Never had he known sin. And now, with a completely pure life, he would bear the weight of an untold number of sinners. Not only become the bearer of sin, but he would bear the wrath of God. The wrath of God, Romans 5.9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. He would become the bearer of sin. He would take the wrath of God. And thirdly, because Jesus would be the bearer of sin, he would experience a break in that eternal relational fellowship that he had with God from eternity past. There would be a break in that eternal love relationship with God that he had in the past. And he would, on the cross, experience the abandonment of his father and cry out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And he would say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He would be crushed as a sin offering. He would bear the wrath of God. He would separate, be separated in fellowship for a short period of time. All of these things that would come upon him, he would experience, and it brought agony to his own heart, such that in Luke twenty-two forty-four, he would sweat these drops of blood and in Luke twenty-two thirty-five, he went a little beyond them, fell to the ground, and began to pray that if it were possible, this hour might 
pass him by. The way that Jesus would deal with this would be by going to God in prayer. He would deal with his temptation by asking of God for strength. He would ask and pray to God because of the impending judgment that would be coming would be such an assault upon his holiness, his purity, his piety. His holiness would then bear sin. Hebrews 5, 7 speaks about this. It says, In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Can you imagine how sin might assault Christ, one who was pure, one who was holy, Perhaps it might be just as in a some semblance of how parents would desire to shield their children from seeing, from experiencing seeing wickedness that would traumatize and assault their hearts, their young hearts, especially the very first time they might see something, things that would cause them to have nightmares, things that would cause them to have a lot of trauma. You can imagine that multiplied millions of times over the purity of Jesus' holiness and the sin that he would bear. Not that Jesus had never seen evil or never seen wickedness before, but here he would shoulder the experiences personally. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil. Thou canst not look on wickedness with favor, Habakkuk says of God. And Jesus then prays. He prays, Abba, Father, a very intimate term. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. The temptation was there. If there was another way for this cup, a cup is used as a figure of speech, oftentimes of God's, God's divine wrath that would, was to come. That was the case when the brothers, the sons of thunder, came through their, their aunt to ask them, or the, their mother to ask them to sit on the right and left hand of God, and he asks, are they able to bear the cup that he was to bear? And they thought, yes, but... That cup would be the cup of divine wrath. If there would be another way, but as Jesus always responded, yet not what I will, but what you will. The temptation was to put his will above the will of God. As always with Jesus, the determining consideration was what was the will of God? As he said in John 12, I did not speak on my own initiative, he declared, but the Father himself who sent me has given me commandment what to say and what to speak. And so he says, yet not what I will, but thou wilt. It is a temptation, an external temptation to him in which he goes to the Lord in prayer, in which he turns to God in prayer and dependence. But he comes back, finding his disciples asleep. He had told them time and time again, keep watching, keep praying. He told them why? That you may not come into temptation. How do you battle temptation? By being alert, by praying. Why? Because it says the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus went to God in prayer. The disciples decided to sleep, not availing themselves of the help of God. The Bible tells us, though, that they were asleep, not because they had a large Passover meal, not because it was late at night, but Luke twenty two forty five tells us he found them asleep from sorrow, from sorrow. They were extremely sad. They were extremely discouraged. Throughout the Passover meal, just hours before, he had told them that he would depart from them. He told them that he was no longer going to be there anymore. He tried to encourage them to strengthen their hearts, but they were still so very sad, as I'm sure anyone would have. And so one of the ways they coped was to sleep. They wanted to go to sleep. Perhaps they might have even thought, perhaps I'll wake up. This is all a bad dream. So they gave in to their sleep. They gave in to their temptation because they thought, well, this is the solution. They would never know what temptation means as Jesus knew what temptation meant. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, says this, quote, no man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting it, not by giving in. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. Do we give up too soon? Give in to temptation? We know that our sinful hearts are often inclined to sin, or do we fight it and fight it and fight it? Jesus fought through the night against temptation through prayer, and temptation gave its full onslaught. As Satan came, he would give his full onslaught. He wanted him to succumb to his own will, to succumb to his own plans, but as it were, Jesus would always desire to follow God. Thy will be done. And if we are to overcome temptation, the means by that is a spiritual means through prayer, dependence upon God in prayer. So number one, we learn we need to be humble before the word of God. Number two, we need to depend upon God in prayer. But as we see in the text as we move on, it was too much for them. They couldn't stay awake. And Jesus says, it is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Now, he is going to be betrayed by a disciple. Maybe you have been betrayed before. Suffering by betrayal of someone is one of the most painful experiences one can bear. Suffering when one has betrayed your trust, betrayed you, betrayed 
what they stand for, whether it is a spouse, a parent, a child, a friend, it leaves a scar in the heart for years and years. Judas was the betrayer. Earlier in the chapter, in 22, verse 4, it tells us Satan entered into Judas, who was called Iscariot. Judas had already exhibited his greed. He had already exhibited his greed by stealing from the treasury, and he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave, a mere slave. And of course, Judas wasn't one who had to be coerced into it. It's not as if the religious leaders came to Judas and began bargaining with him and negotiating as to how much he might betray Jesus for. No, Judas, this was all part of his idea. He was going to do this. He traded Jesus for the world's goods. And when they come to arrest Jesus, Judas comes with this hypocritical kiss, the kiss of a traitor. Now, a kiss in those days was not uncommon. A kiss uh, was to show respect. It was uh, given to show um, affection. Slaves would kiss the feet of those who were their masters. Disciples would also kiss the feet of their teachers. A kiss on the hand would be customary. But a kiss on the cheek would be given by one who was a friend, a sign of affection from one's closest friend. It was the greatest degree of hypocrisy because Judas was no true friend of Jesus. And Judas comes to this Garden of Gethsemane with a mob of other people, chief priests, elders, temple guards. There was a Roman cohort. Now, a Roman cohort typically had 600 to 1,000 men. Now, it could have been, as John 18.3, it could have been a smaller segment of a cohort called the Maniple, a couple hundred people. But on top of that was the temple guards. On top of that, they were the officers, the temple guards were the officers who were able to, had the authority to arrest people who had violated the Jewish law. There were members of the Sanhedrin there. This, this crowd was huge. It was huge. It was a, some, some estimates, anywhere from 250 or so to 1,000 people had come. Now, why so many people? To rest Jesus. I mean, we have insight from the, from the text of Scripture. It was Jesus and his group of disciples. It wasn't as if there was some, some sort of group that was there. Perhaps, though, they were afraid of his power. He had faced the possibility of death before. This wasn't the first time that he would face the possibility of death. We read from the Scriptures in Luke chapter 4, verses 29 through 30, in which after he read the Scriptures in his own hometown of Nazareth, the people took him, and they wanted to throw him off of a, of a hill, cliff, but somehow he passed right through them. Also in John chapter 7, verses 45 through 46, the chief priest had sent the temple guard, had sent the temple guard to address Jesus. But the temple guard was so confounded by the teaching of Jesus, they didn't arrest him. Now, on this night, they wanted to be sure the job was done. They wanted to be sure he was going to be arrested. And they had no idea. Jerusalem would be packed. And they had known that Jesus was welcomed into the city by tens of thousands, if not 100,000 people, who had welcomed him into the city. He was wildly popular when the day was there. And who knows how many people would have been with Jesus. So they brought a huge, huge group 
soldiers, temple guards, religious leaders, others to come in this mob, and it was dark. They carried these torches there. They came to arrest Jesus, and in John 18, it says, Jesus said to them, I am he. Now, when he had said to them, I am he, they drew back, and boom, they fell to the ground. The power of Jesus at his mere word. This, however, simply goes to display that Jesus submitted himself to the plan of God, even as he was betrayed. It wouldn't take much for Jesus, if he wanted to, to simply escape once again, to resist them. All he had to say is, I am he, and they fell. So, perhaps seeing this, right after they had fallen to the ground, that might have been the cause by which Peter says, verse 49, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And he swings his sword and he cuts off the high servant's as the servant of the high priest, cut off his ear. And Jesus will, in the account of the Gospels, will heal that ear. That will be the last miracle prior to him going to the cross and being resurrected. The kingdom of God isn't conquered with swords and weapons. That was the lesson for Peter there. The kingdom of God isn't going to be conquered through earthly means. Though in the history of the church, many have tried. Many have tried. In fact, what that does is it hurts the testimony, hurts the testimony of Christ more than it helps. One cannot coerce, one cannot force, one cannot bribe, push anyone into the kingdom. No. God draws them to himself. God saves their soul. And Jesus says this to the crowd. Have you come out with swords and clubs, verse 48, to arrest me as you would against a robber? And then verse 49, every day I was in the temple with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. So what was the point of this comment? The point of this comment, as it says there, was to fulfill the scriptures, but I think it was also to point out to them, to point out the fact that such a large mob in the dead of night testifies to the illegitimacy of the arrest. Jesus was not guilty of anything. If he had been, they could have just arrested him in public. The charges would be clear. The crime would be clear. They could have easily arrested him if it were genuine charges in the middle of the day, every day he was with them, every day he was teaching them, why didn't they just arrest him if it was a true and genuine charge of some crime that Jesus had committed? Because it was not. It was not the illegitimacy of it to bring such a large crowd in the middle of the night in the covert darkness that had blanketed the evening while this hour had belonged to them and Judas the traitor. Judas had betrayed Jesus for money. With one hand, he had his hand in the money bag. He turned his Savior over because of his greed and for the price of his slave, he sold his future out. The question for you and I would be, what would be the price someone would pay you to walk away from the Lord. What would be that price? What would you trade your walk with Christ 
for? What would the world have to offer you to lure you away from your walk with God? What job opportunity would be so lucrative that you would care more about your income, your benefits, your opportunities, and put your walk with the Lord on the back burner, your closeness to Christ? Would there be a school that would be so prestigious that you would attend with so studies that would be so demanding you would choose that over your walk with God? Or is there some relationship you have with someone that it doesn't matter if they're even a Christian, you would give that up? Maybe a hobby, a sport, an activity, whatever it might be that you would trade. What's the price that you would pay, that you would be enticed by? The enticement often goes something like this. It's only for a short time, only for four years, only for 10 years. We'll be set educationally, we'll be set financially. Then I can focus on my spiritual life some other day. God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? There's always the temptation to leave God if our pride gets the better of us. Many of you who've been Christians for a long time know that this is the sales pitch. This is the carrot that is often dangled in front of people. More money, greater opportunities, whatever it might be, and they trade a walk with God for whatever the world has to offer them. Maybe it's prestige, maybe it's security, maybe it's some type of thing that feeds their own need. Well, what happened? Verse 50, they all left him and fled. They all left him and fled. You know, whatever price that you might have, including your own life, you can be sure that someday Satan is going to try and buy you out. There will be a carrot that he will put on a stick right in front of you, and you will be tempted in order to follow that carrot, in order to buy out that thing, because he does not want you and your relationship with God to be there. They all left. The threat to them was perhaps their own life, by which they said, by the way, earlier, that they would never deny Christ or they would go and die for Jesus, but that was too high of a price to pay. And this was a sad commentary, but Jesus had already told them that this was going to come to pass. And Mark adds by way a couple of little verses about some unidentified individual at the end who was following along. Some guy probably woke up. We don't know who it is. There have been attempts at which they've tried to identify who this person is, but we don't know. We don't know that Scripture doesn't say, but somebody who probably woke up in his bedsheets and came following along, what was the commotion? And I think the point here is that Jesus was left all alone, abandoned by those who were the closest to him, abandoned by all, denied later on by Peter, fulfilling what the prophecy would say in Zechariah, And reminding us that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Proverbs 16, 18. So we learn today just from the example of Christ and what the disciples did that we need to humble ourselves before the word of God. 
that we need to be dependent completely upon God in prayer, especially when it comes to temptation, and to be aware, whatever price that might be on our heads, you know that someday you may be tempted to trade Jesus over your walk with God for what the world would have to offer. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for your precious word. And Father, even during this time of suffering, we know that our Savior, you, O Lord, know what it is like. Far beyond the suffering that we experience here or will ever experience, you bore the sins of sinners in the world that you would become the sacrifice, bearing the wrath of God, being separated from the perfect fellowship that you had always experienced, that we might bear the righteousness of Christ for all who would come and bow the knee to you. So we pray, O God, help us to be humble. Help us to realize that what we have is undeserved. Help us not to complain. Help us, Lord, to realize that you are the giver of all of these things. And Father, we pray that we might be found faithful to walk with you. May the temptation not come to walk away, no matter what this world would have to offer, that we might not sell ourselves out, Lord, for what the world would dangle in front of us, and God, you would keep us close to you. In Jesus' most precious name, amen.